right there, why do we pray for the lost? I came up with this uh, idea for this lesson, and those of you that do bus ministry uh, devotions on Sunday mornings for bus meeting and many, uh, and even Sunday school teachers and um, those of you that fill in from time to time, know that you know thoughts will come into your mind. God will place some thoughts into your mind, and it'll just keep bringing it up, keep bringing it up, keep bringing it up, keep bringing it up. And that was this topic right here. I actually talked with Pastor Bill about this a few weeks ago, and then when he texted me on Monday morning and said, hey, I don't think I'm even going to be good for Wednesday, I started formulating uh, this message here because it was something uh, that God laid on my heart. I hope it'll be a blessing uh, to you. Why do we pray for the lost? It seems like a weird question, but let me explain the reasoning behind it first. For most of us who've been Christians, for all of our life as a Christian, we've heard the phrase, pray for the lost to be saved. Pray for the lost to be saved. And if you guys are nervous right now about what I'm going to say, I'll just tell you the end of it is we should pray for the lost to be saved, okay? I'm not saying we're not by any means, okay? I'm sticking with that. So, but we've heard that phrase a lot, pray for the lost to be saved. But do we actually know what that means? And do we understand how that works uh, together when we pray for others to be saved? Even sometimes I hear people say a statement like this, I'm just going to keep praying for my unsafe family member, I'm going to keep praying for my uh, unsafe friend or my neighbor, co-worker, etc. And, and I'm just going to keep praying because I know that God is going to save them. I'm sorry, but that is not necessarily true. That is not necessarily true. Uh, sometimes we pray statements like, God save them. Now, we know God knows our heart on the issue and uh, what we're trying to say. But the problem is that it's not really accurate and... God's not going to violate their free will. You had a choice. I had a choice. Nobody twisted my arm when I trusted Christ as my Savior. The opportunity was presented to me. Someone was preaching. The sermon was not even about salvation, but the Holy Spirit was speaking to me. And I knew that if I died without Christ, that I would go to hell. And I knew I needed a Savior. I knew there was no way I could make it uh, and have eternal life on my own outside of God. And I responded uh, to that. And that was my choice. And there was many times before that where I said no. As many of you probably have a similar testimony. Saying no. But we all have a choice and we have a, a free will. And God does not e violate that free will even if it means that people are going to go to hell. He allows people to make their choice and they're going to live with it and they're going to die with it. People often resort to the same thinking when the same thinking about this free will thing whenever they talk about raising children and one of the classic verses that we use and that I believe in is uh, Proverbs 22.6 Train up a child in the way he should go and when he's old he will not depart from it. And I've heard many people misinterpret that passage and they treat that as if it's a promise when it's not. It's a principle. 
The whole book of Proverbs is a principle. And we've seen many individuals who've raised children the right way. Now, nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. But we're saying they've pointed them in the right direction and done pretty much what they could for their kids to have every opportunity to turn out right. And kids peel off to the left. Kids peel off to the right. They don't always, 100% of the time, turn out to love God and serve God with their life. It's a principle, but some people hold to that. And if that was true, that would be, again, that would be a violation of free will. And also, it would kind of prove one way or another that the Bible isn't really true all the time because, like I just mentioned, we know people who have trained up kids the right way and they've went bad. So it's a wrong way of thinking. Um, it's a wrong way of uh, thinking. So if God will not violate their free will, then why do we pray for the lost to be saved? That was a question that popped up in my mind a few weeks ago. And... Um, you know, I knew the answer to it, but kind of formulating the thoughts, I called Pastor Bill and said, hey, you know, what do you think about this? And I like to pick his brain a little bit on it. And some of the things he mentioned uh, in that I stuck in the lesson, other things uh, from some research and some praying and looking in the Bible, I'm going to share with you. So why do we pray for the lost? Well, I'm glad you asked. Here we go. First off, first off, because... It pleases God because it pleases God. Now, we're going to go through some reasons, four reasons why we should pray for the lost. And then the last part of the lesson is going to be how, how we can pray for the lost or how we should pray for them. So it pleases God. Let's see. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4, familiar verse for us all. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. And what exactly is he talking about? Is he just talking of that, that we ought to pray for these people so that we can just live good lives? No, the next verse says, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth? The idea of the passage is that God wants us to pray for all types of people. He lists a category there, not just one. We, we, like, we should pray for average people. We should pray for normal people. We should pray for poor people. We should pray for rich people. We should pray for people who are in authority, people that are in positions of leadership. We should pay for, pray for our bosses. We should pray for our congressmen. We should pray for our governor. We should pray for our president and our vice president. We should pray for all those people. Not only so that we live a quiet and peaceable life, but also that they would come to the saving knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when we pray for those individuals, to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, it pleases God. It pleases Him. Praying for the lost is worth doing. And if you aren't in the habit of praying for the lost, you ought to get in the habit. Because anywhere in the Scripture where we see something pleases God, it should be something that we get involved in. I notice churches from time to time, lose focus on this area. 
And I can tell that they lose focus on this area by what they preach and by what they teach. Churches who are not actively giving the gospel, you mark it down. If they are not actively giving the gospel, being evangelistic, they are not active in this area right here about praying for the lost. Because the two things go hand in hand. When we begin to pray for the lost, the lost becomes our focus, it becomes on our mind, and once it's on our mind, God spurs our heart into action to do something about it. But the sad part is, is there's a lot of churches you say, well, I don't know about that. I, I've been to them. Hey, when I'm on vacation, sometimes I get to go to this family member or friend's church or that one, and I'm just shocked how humanistic it is and how it's just not big picture. Big picture meaning it's not about Jesus. And there's so many places that are like that. And thank God that we have a church that cares about the unsaved. Then on our prayer sheet, we got a, a, a whole list that's full of folks who need to be saved. We care about the lost. Hence the reason we go to the 4th of July parade. Something we've prayed for. That God would give us an opportunity to do so. And so, it pleases God. Next reason is because it aligns our will with God's. It, allow, it aligns our will with God's. Let me explain. 2 Timothy 2.4, we just mentioned this passage. Who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. Sounds like God wants people to be saved. Another verse, 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward and not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants people to be saved. Isaiah 45.22 from the Old Testament. Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. Don't show that to a Calvinist. They might just have a hissy fit. All the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none else. God wants people to be saved. Jesus, even in Luke 19.41, And when he was come near, he beheld the city, looking, over, looking at Jerusalem, and he wept over it. Why? Because these people weren't saved. And it broke his heart. Now if it was something that was just, let's just say, uh, preordained, where they didn't have a choice to do it, why, why would he be all emotional about that? I mean, come on. It's these people willingly rejected him. And probably not so much what it meant for him, but he knew what they were missing out and the pain and the sorrow that they were going to endure because of their choice. And there's nobody, there is nobody that wants your family members and your friends and your co-workers to be saved more than God wants them to be saved. And when we pray, our will aligns with God's will. Jesus in his model prayer, he says, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, when we pray for God's will to be done here and God's willing for everybody 
to come to a knowledge of the truth and to be saved. We're aligning our will with him. God wanted him to be saved so much that he took on flesh, came to the cruel world, was mocked, shamed, stripped naked, spit upon, beaten, tortured, nailed to a tree, bled, died, endured the ridicule. That's how much he wanted people to be saved. Nobody wants to, uh, people to be saved more than God. But as we already mentioned, God's not going to violate their free will whatsoever. They have a choice to make, and so do we. There was one uh, pastor, as I was preparing for this message, there was one pastor that I came across. I began watching a little bit of uh, one of his Bible studies on it. And, uh, you know, you got to be careful about who you listen to. And so it, it depends on your, as well on your level of maturity. If you are a fairly new Christian, you better get with some old-time Christians and ask them who you should listen to and who you should stay away from. And so uh, this guy began to do some preaching on this topic here about folks being saved and praying for the lost. And he came to uh, this section about people with their free will. And he definitely was a Reformed theology person. And he began to say that you know, God is all-powerful, he's all-sovereign, you know, sovereign. he's ordained everything, and if people can reject, he said, if people can reject God, it, that makes their will stronger than God. And he said, I don't like that. What was interesting is that he didn't show any Bible verses, he didn't show any reason from the scriptures why that was the case. He just said, I don't like that. I don't like that that could be, you know, could override God, that he couldn't do something. And I said, I'm, I'm sitting back there and thinking, well, what in the world does your opinion have to do with any of it? First of all, God was the one ordained it to be that way. And so in one way or another, yes, he's sovereign because he gave man the choice knowing full well that they were going to reject. And he knows all that. But yet, we do still have a free will and we ought to be very careful when we come to the scripture with a preconceived notion in our mind about who God is and we take God and we put him in our little box and then try to examine scripture through that. No, we take the Bible for what it says and when I look through the scriptures as we have right here and these are just a few of many that we could go over about how much God wants people to be saved, all people to be saved. And so... Our will aligns with God's. Thirdly, why do we pray for the lost? Well, it's a pattern of Scripture. It is a pattern of Scripture. Jesus prayed. What did he pray when he was on the cross? He prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. Jesus, even on the cross, was praying to the Father for mercy for the unsaved, even though they had no idea. This verse over the past year or so has really stuck in my mind when I think about uh, going door to door, when I think about the variety of different ministries we have. And again, when you're out there preaching the gospel to people and trying to see people saved, you will face a lot of rejection. Those of you that are involved in those things know we face a lot of rejection. And this verse over the past year has been just coming up in my mind that when they reject, I try to, in my mind, pray, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. 
when they take it and they do some a mean gesture, slam a door in your face, or you know, give you some sort of smirk. Hey, they don't know what they do. And we pray, Father, forgive them, have mercy. Hey, show them. Open their eyes. Paul, he prayed, Romans 10, 1, he says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. It's a biblical thing to pray for the lost. And then next, we are to pray for the salvation of all people. 1 Timothy 2, 1, I exhort, uh, therefore, brethren, first of all, we already mentioned this verse a few times, um, supplications, prayer, and intercession, and giving of, of thanks be made for all men. And so that's just a few examples. There are many about how praying for the lost is a scriptural thing. And then the last, the last one for this section I have is we pray because it can influence God. Uh-oh, Calvinists don't like this one either. It can influence God. Let's look at some Bible examples. Moses interceded on behalf of Israel. And before we look at this, let me say this. I am not going to go down deep and come up dry. Because this is a very complicated topic. I'd be happy to discuss with anyone at a later time. Any much, uh, however much you want to talk about this topic. Um, because it gets a little goes down a bunch of different rabbit holes, and that's not the point. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the topic at face value and understanding God's sovereignty, but also we have to understand his foreknowledge. He's all-powerful. He knows all. He saw the end. He knew how it was all going to work out. But we are humans, and he use, uses us uh, during that as well. So we see here for Moses in Exodus 32, 14, and the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. And so in this instance, God was going to wipe out the children of Israel, and he says, you know, let me just wipe them out. Let me just destroy them. I'm going to start over with you and make a people, you know, out of you. And Moses says, please don't destroy them. And he goes into a long thing about, you brought them out of Israel for this and that. And then it says that God, the Lord repented of the evil. And what that means is some people say, well, God repented. That means he, he uh, changed his mind. That means he decided not to do something. Okay, the term that is used to describe what this is is anthropomorphism, which is using human terms to describe something that is not human. And we're using human language here to try to describe the Lord which is a spirit, and it's really for our sake. And so without getting into any of that, uh, that's a whole other topic for another lesson. I really want to go into it. I'm just really on the edge. I just really want to go down there because it's really fun to talk about. Uh, but I'm not going to. And so anyways, it's an expression. But yes, Moses interceded on behalf of the people, and God said, okay, we're going to keep it the way it is. The people of Nineveh. Remember, Jonah came and he said, in 40 days, God's going to destroy Nineveh. That was the command. That's what the word of the Lord was. And then the people go and they, they repent. I mean, he preached that eight-word sermon. The word got to the king and 
Next thing you know, they put a decree out over all the land, and I mean, they start fasting, they rent their clothes, and they put ashes on them, and they were in full repentance to the God of Israel. And it says in, in Jonah 3.10, And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way. And God repented, again, that's that word there, anthropomorphism, of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. And the city was not destroyed, and Nineveh was not destroyed in 40 days. And so, because of their actions, God was influenced and didn't destroy them. Now, if they didn't, if they didn't turn from their wicked way, would, would God have destroyed them? Yes, absolutely. And so, when we pray, we do have influence with God. We're going to look at a few reasons here in the next section about how we should pray and what that means to the lost. Is God going to violate their free will? No. But when we choose to pray for people like Moses prayed for Israel, God, keep giving them a chance. Remember, nobody is saved unless the Holy Spirit draws them. There must be that drawing of the Holy Spirit. And so we're constantly praying for God, please draw my unsaved family member to a saving knowledge of you. Please continue to work in their heart. Please Get those cobwebs out of their minds so they can have a good grip and see the truth. And God, we're praying, God, please don't give up on them. And I believe 100% that prayer makes a difference and God can be influenced. How should we pray for the loss? How should we pray? Got about 10 minutes or less. How should we pray for the lost? I was talking to a guy a few weeks ago. I uh, came by and needed some benevolence uh, from the church, got in a tough spot, and he was, I don't, I don't believe he was saved just by his testimony and what he said. However, we got done, he said, uh, Pastor Chris, I really want to pray with you. And I said, okay, great. He says, well, he says, a few years ago, I, was, uh, I went to this Catholic church, and this priest prayed some prayer on me, and as soon as he prayed this prayer, man, everything in my life just started going good, and for a long time, I just kept praying that prayer, and he was, he says, do you have any prayer like that, like, like a magic prayer? <laughs> and I'm like, no, I do not have a magic prayer for you. I did not have one, and so praying for the lost, I do not believe that there is a magic prayer, but from scripture, there are some things that we can take and see how uh, we'll be able to pray for uh, folks. Often, I catch myself praying for the unsaved like this. God, please save them. God, please save them. And again, I already mentioned, God knows our heart. He knows what we mean. He knows, he fills in all those blanks in our mind that, that we know we're meaning, hey, please send somebody by their way or please keep working on them or, or keep drawing them. He knows that. But can we do better? Yes. I would say yes. Absolutely. We can do better. And so... How should we pray for the lost? Firstly, my first piece of advice is to pray specifically. Pray specifically. Jesus was specific with his prayers. He was not very general. If you look at how Jesus prayed and talked to the Father, he was very specific. Uh, again, the model prayer that he gave us, uh, one verse from there, verse 11 says, Give us this day our daily bread. That is a specific verse. I mean, I'm, that is a specific request is what I should say. That is very specific. Give us, talking about me, talking about the people he was with. 
Give us this day, today, our, our daily bread. We need it today. We need it right now. Not, hey, God, please provide our food and forever. And I mean, sometimes we just get so generic and fluffy, and I'm guilty just like anybody else, getting so generic and fluffy with our prayers that we're not specific about anything. And um, Clarence Sexton, Pastor Clarence Sexton, Powell, Tennessee, uh, Crown College, Temple Baptist Church, he always had a statement that, and he said, nothing is dynamic until it is specific. Nothing is dynamic until it is specific. What he was saying was, you're not really going to accomplish anything until you get down to the nitty-gritty. If a boss says, man, I really want to change things in my company, but he never talks about anything specific, not much is probably going to get done. We often pray for missionaries like this. God, please bless all the missionaries on our board. <laughs> I mean, we do that. Is that a bad prayer? No. But can we be more specific? And why should we be more specific? That's the question. Because when we are specific when we are specific uh, with God, we get to see specific results, which in turn strengthens our faith. When we pray for our missionaries, and we just had a missionary that uh, in Myanmar that needed a generator. And you know, you, the, the email comes out and maybe gets sent to some of the pastors or and deacons here and you know, we pray specifically, God, would you please supply that generator for them? Hey, when they get that generator, we saw pictures of it over in Miramar, and we're like, wow, that's an answer to prayer. Specific, specific. And so, I believe specific prayers do make a difference, and we should pray specific. And when we pray for the lost, we ought to not just be real generic, we ought to ask God for some real tangible things that we can see uh, results. So, let's move on. Five minutes. How should we pray for the lost? Two. We should pray for God to open their eyes. It's biblical. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Pray that God would open their eyes. There are so many, there are so many uh, times that I have given the gospel to people, but it, it doesn't catch. Why? The God of this world has blinded their mind. And so we need to constantly pray. And these are great things to pray, not only for individual people, but for instance, before we go door to door, before we get on the bus route, before we go visit uh, the parents of our Sunday school class, pray these types of prayers and be specific that God would open their eyes. Acts 26, 18, they're talking, Paul was talking about uh, going on a journey here, and he says, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them that are sanctified by faith that is in me. So a good thing to pray is that their minds and their eyes would be open. Thirdly, how should we pray? Well, we should pray for God to open a door of opportunity. That's specific. Colossians 4, 3, and 4. With all praying and also for us, 
that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. The 4th of July parade, it's been, it, it has, uh, we haven't had it for two years. It's a lot of work. And at times, yeah, in my flesh I say, I don't really want to do it. It's a lot of work. But yet we still pray, God give us an opportunity because we know what it means to thousands of folks who are going to get a gospel witness because we went down there and handed them a gospel track. And so we pray for a door of opportunity to open. Same thing with the Easter sunrise service. There's not, almost not a greater opportunity than that. And it was closed down for a year. Thankfully, we were able to do it, and God answered our prayers. And it was an answer to prayer, not only that it was opened back up, but that we keep getting the opportunity to do it. And so... We ought to pray for God uh, to open a door. Fourthly, we ought to pray. We ought to pray for boldness to declare the gospel. That's, this is not just for us. This is to pray for others who maybe are able to witness to uh, those folks as well. But for us, uh, that we should have boldness to declare the gospel. Paul says in Ephesians 6, 19 and 20, He says, and for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to. So, when we come and we're praying for the lost, we need to pray for boldness as well. And then lastly... We should pray for God to send laborers. Pray for God to send laborers. Matthew 9, 38 says, Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. How many of you have family members in other places than Florida or local, locally to us that are unsaved that need the gospel? Okay, so many people. And how many of us Raise your hand. Pray for God to send somebody by their way. What do we mean by that? Yes, we do. Okay, we pray God send somebody by their way. A witness. Someone knocking on their door. Asking them if they know who Jesus is, know the gospel. We pray for God, hey, send them a Christian neighbor that lives right by them, that they can't escape. God, send them, send them a Christian coworker that's just there all the time. That is going to be a constant witness. And we pray those types of things, right? Absolutely. But have you ever thought about this? There's other people in the U.S. and other people in the world who are praying those same prayers for people in our community. And they're praying for people that live on our streets and in our neighborhoods. And so as we pray for laborers to go to our lost family members and our friends, we ought to be the laborer in our community and in our neighborhood and in our area. Just, uh, Jan- I think in the month of January, Miss Ellie Young called me. We, we live over um, Fountain Lakes. And she called me and said, you know, I heard of this guy that was looking to sell his house. And I went over there to look at it. And as I uh, knocked on the door and I talked to him, I asked him why he was selling. And he says, well, I have pancreatic cancer. I'm going to die in three weeks. And so she tried her best, and she, you know, did a good job about giving him the gospel. 
and he was not saved, didn't show interest in being saved. And also, um, you know, he said that he had kids that were Christians and that pray for him. And so she contacted me and said, hey, would you mind going over and seeing him? And again, these are the thoughts that God placed into my heart that I need to be the witness where I am. Especially if I expect God to send somebody to my family and to my friends. And so I go over there and, you know, tried to, I told him who I was and uh, whatnot. And, you know, he shuffled inside really quick. I begged him. I said, please, just let me talk to you for a few minutes. No, I handed him a, a gospel track and I said, would you please read this? And he said, okay, okay. And didn't hear anything from him. Went back home. Um typed up a letter, dropped it by his house, a real specific uh, letter for him about salvation and how he can be saved. And uh, I don't know whatever came of it. I'm sure he uh, passed away by now. But what am I saying? I'm saying that we need laborers. And just as we pray for other people to be laborers to our friends and loved ones, we need to be the kind of laborers to the people who are close to us as well. I mean, let's not expect God to do something we're not willing to do ourselves. And so, may we pray for laborers. And the last closing thought is this. Do our prayers make a difference? I'll leave you with one verse, James 5.16. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Keep praying for your lost family members, your lost friends, your lost neighbors, the lost people on those prayer sheets, even if you don't know who they are, keep praying for them because it makes a difference in their lives. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the few moments. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.